This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hello. Today on the Loopcast, I have Matt Taylor, and we're discussing the Christian identity movement and its influence on the broader white supremacy, white power movement. So as most of you know, we have started this series about examining the influencers, the sort of individual actors that are kind of, that have shaped the white supremacy, contemporary white supremacy and white power movement. So we had our conversation with JM on a siege in James Mason. In October, we're having a conversation on about Tom Metzger. And today we're talking about the Christian identity movement. So that's, you know, kind of different, a movement versus individuals. But the purpose of the show and kind of what we wanted to examine was how does the Christian identity movement insert itself into the milieu of white supremacy and white power? How, do, how does it kind of shape itself? How does it, what does it do? What does that expression kind of look like? What is its intentions, et cetera? So in essence, you're looking at something as an influencer, right? As, as a shaper of ideas and identities. So that's what we're going to talk about. So with that, my guest today is Matt Taylor. Hi, Matt. Hey, how's it going? Pretty good. How are you? I'm good. I am ready to talk about terrible things. So <laughs> that's that should be the tagline of every Loopcast episode. I am ready <laughs> to talk about terrible things. I want to start off with when I when we agreed to do this talk, I really didn't know a lot about the Christian identity movement outside of like Kathleen Ballou's book, outside of Stuart uh-huh. Wexler's book. Yeah and, you, yeah, and then the write-up that you contributed to. If, if it's possible, walk us through what are the sort of tenets and beliefs that characterize the Christian identity movement? Yeah, yeah. So Christian identity, just as a very, I guess, broad definition, you can classify it as a just a very radical offshoot of Christianity. I think a key thing to keep in mind about Christi- or, uh, Christian identity, rather, is that, like, trying to think of a way to describe this. So in Christianity, like violence is kind of frowned upon, right? Jesus, his whole thing was like, hey, don't don't kill people and all that. Well, Christian identity, violence, especially against people who are not white or who are Jewish, it's like a religious imperative. So think of Christian identity as a very radical, very hyper-violent version of Christianity. And so alongside all of that, they've also taken a lot of very complicated like pseudo anthropological beliefs and inserted them into their own history to try to create this whole separate history of humanity and where it came from. And it, of course in their history, like white people are superior and all this other stuff. And yeah, they do that. And they've also got this, um, this theory. So it gets, like, I know I'm being, like, super broad and kind of vague about it. It's just a very complicated religion. So I'm going to, like, backtrack a little bit here. Christian identity actually gets its start in Europe in, like, the 1800s, like, mid to late 1800s-ish. It gets started as British Israelism. Have you heard of British Israelism before? 
I think so. Yeah. JM has kind of mentioned it here and there and I yeah. think, okay. Yeah. 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 So it, it's, it, so British Israelism, it's got a really complicated history as well. I would say it's actually more complicated in Christian identity, but the TLDR of it is this belief that arose kind of at the height of British imperialism that uh, Europe and more specifically England was actually the promised land from the Bible um, and that the Israelites were European. So it starts there and British Israelism, they see Europeans, mainly white people as the true Israelites, like God's chosen people. And they saw Jewish people, they didn't see them in a, um, they saw them kind of as misguided as opposed to Christian identity who sees Jewish people as like physical demons and it's really terrible. Anyway, so British Israelism, it's, it's really complicated. The guy who created it, he ended up, I believe, in a psychiatric institution towards the end of his life. And then it ends up getting over to America and that's where it turns into Christian identity in like the early 1910s-ish. But yeah, I know I'm kind of rambly with this, but uh, Christian identity, it's just a very hyper violent radical offshoot of Christianity that sees Jewish people as this imposter race and white people as a true Israelite, like God's chosen people. Is that a good definition? Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, you mentioned kind of, you've described it as hyper-violent. When, when we talk about the violence here, describe like, is it, is it kind of mal like Millerian accelerationist violence? What is kind of the purpose and kind of the need to include so much, you know, the use of violence in its ideology? Sure. Yeah. So, so this whole idea of Christian identity, right? The, the white people, or they're called the Adamic race, like Adam and Eve, they see themselves as having to... So basically the end goal of Christi or Christian identity is that there's going to be this apocalyptic event. It's really similar to mainstream Christianity. If you've heard of like the rapture, the tribulations, so the rapture is supposed to be like a mainstream Christianity. Some believe that the rapture is like when Jesus is going to come and like take all the true believers away. And then the tribulations are going to happen, which is like this cataclysmic event and all the non-believers are going to suffer and, you know, all that jazz. But uh, Christian identity, they don't believe in a rapture. They don't like they know Jesus is going to come back, but they also know that he's not going to save them and they are going to have to fight through the tribulation and essentially their whole idea sort of the hyper violence comes in they are to cleanse the earth as they say of essentially anybody who is not white or who is jewish so that they can make the way for nazi jesus to come back and have like a big terrible reign and all that good stuff so the last question on and kind of the beliefs like Something that kind of tripped me up was mm -hmm. the white supremacy aspect of it, because it seems like, like with religion, the in-group can be anybody who professes the faith, right? I am, sure, yeah. you know, I'm a Christian because, you know, whatever the profession of faith looks like. But in, in this case, how do they, how do they form that in-group and say that it's only whites, right? It's only white people, that anybody of color is 
excluded regardless of their Christian faith? Yeah, so that's really interesting you bring that up. So like I said, it all comes from, it basically all stems from like British imperialism, right? And the idea that Europe was where God's chosen people really were. But they've kind of shifted that as well to say, so there are all sorts of different sects of Christian identity. The one that I focus on the most is the dual seed line variation. And so the dual seed line theory is what I was mentioning earlier, where they believe that Jewish people are like the embodiment of evil, essentially. So the dual seed line theory goes all the way back to Genesis from the Bible and says, you know, Adam and Eve. So if you look at the Christian Bible, Adam and Eve were the first people. They have two children who are Cain and Abel. Then Cain kills Abel and then the rest of the Bible happens. But in Christian identity, they believe so Eve and Adam had Abel, but then Eve and the devil or Satan had Cain. And so Cain is like this demon offspring and that's where Jewish people come from. But alongside all of that, so like I was saying, there are different sects. Uh, some sects aren't as violently intolerant of other races, but they're still very intolerant and don't believe that they can go to heaven. And the main reason of that is they, it's, it's really, I guess, complicated. They believe that these other races can like visualize a God that they worship or their idea of a Christian God, but it's not like the true Christian God that only white people can visualize and be able to worship. Does that make sense? Yeah, it, it, I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's weird and it's awful, right? But it's, it's just, yeah, that's kind of how they justify everything. And they also believe, so they believe Jewish people are uh, spawns of the devil, but then they also believe that pretty much anyone else who is not white, they would label them as pre-Adamic races. So races of people who are around before Adam and Eve in their belief system. But yeah. Okay. So with all that, how do they kind of, what is their use of media? Like, is it like, I, I guess I, like you, you kind of point out that they have websites, they have radio shows, Yeah. but when it comes to kind of like social media to Facebook, to Twitter, Reddit, what's their usage of, of those kind of more popular platforms? Yeah, sure. So I, Christian identities kind of jump. I mean, as with most like white nationalist beliefs, like or groups, they've kind of jumped into primarily using social media to get their views out. And so a lot, they'll do Facebook, but Facebook actually, I mean, not to hand it to Facebook because they should have done this a lot earlier, but they kind of cracked down on the Christian identity community and the white nationalist communities in a little bit. But I mean, Facebook still has like a healthy population of like Christian identity boomers on there because, because so there aren't as many Christian identity, like brick and mortar churches nowadays. It's primarily everything's online. I mean, there are still a few brick and mortar ones, but not nearly as much as say like the 70s or the 60s or anything like that. So alongside Facebook, you have all these older Christian identity people who use Facebook and just like really, they're just like really racist and terrible like grandmas and grandpas basically. 
spreading all this nonsense. But you also have like apps like, you know, Telegram, like Telegram, while it's not primarily used as a social network app for white supremacists, because it's used plenty like internationally, right, for just like communicating with people. But there is a pretty substantial platform of Christian identity adherence on there. And then, I mean, mostly the rest of the stuff they do, they don't really do like Reddit from what I've seen, but they'll do like 4chan and then just very obscure like forums and blogs and stuff like that. But that's, I guess, where the vast majority of the CI population is focused. So starting there, and then Uh how do you kind of understand their influence? What is... When, when, when we kind of think about the Christian identity movement's influence on the broader white supremacy movement, is it is it kind of making, you know, inserting religious language? Is it, what, what, let me step back. What are we kind of yeah. measuring and looking at when we talk about influence and CI's influence on the white supremacy movement? That's a good question. That's a really good question. I mean, Christian identity, I would say, has, I might be overstepping by saying it's been one of the white nationalist, I guess, religious beliefs that's been around the longest. I don't know if it has been around the longest itself, but it's like, it's up there, right? It's been very influential. And honestly, I think the, gosh, I'm trying to think of how to answer this question. Um, So I, I I might be jumping to conclusions here. And so I think the idea that they're like a Christian belief, right? Like quote unquote Christian makes it a lot easier for other white nationalists to jump into who maybe like grew up in like a Christian household or whatever. And it also kind of opens the door to other parts of the far right milieu to be able to get into it because it has the word Christian like plastered all over it, right? So I think just in that respect, it's been very influential and they're trying to do things like that nowadays, again, with the modern militia movement and QAnon. Uh, So it tends to be like, when we talk about influence, it tends to be directed. It's not just, you know, putting out propaganda and putting out, you know, you know, media. It's actually the movement itself is kind of pushing itself or moving upon the militia movement on cue and what have you. It's, it's actually active and I, I hate using this verb, but radicalizing, like I, I just, yeah. I hate, I, I kind of hate it because it's just, yeah, it, it's yeah. been so like abused, but it's, it's active, right? Yeah. It's, it's a very active push into these groups. So you'll see a lot like nowadays with QAnon because of QAnon, how it's set up and it's, set up around like the protocols of the elders of Zion conspiracy theory, which uh, Christian identity is as well. Like there are a lot of parallels between Christian identity and QAnon and the Christian identity folks know that. So they'll go into like QAnon groups or like go on 4chan or on telegram or wherever and like not full on say like Christian identity things, but will like link to things that will lead to Christian identity. Does that make sense? So, I mean, something that like kind of caught my ear was when you uh, were talking to Harnahan or 
I probably mispronounced his last name, but oh, Henry. Uh, yeah, Jake. That the Christian identity people kind of consider Q to be a LARP, but here yeah. you're you're kind of describing that they're kind of integrating their own ideology into the Q game, yeah. or sort of the, its own rhetoric and narrative. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, they see it as a LARP, but they see it as a LARP that they can use to further their own goals, right? So they will go into these groups and they'll talk about these groups and be like, man, these Q people are so gullible. I can go in and just start saying anti-Semitic stuff. And they're just, they don't, they don't even notice it. And like maybe one or two people will call it out, but everyone else just kind of accepts it. We can really use this to our advantage to be able to, because like I said earlier, the end goal for Christian identity is to bring about the tribulations and be able to like fight through it and bring, bring Jesus back basically. And so they, they attempt, I, I think they're attempting to do it through QAnon and the modern militia movement and just going in and like subtly like dropping, dropping these hints that will eventually lead people to Christian identity. What is, is, so in this case, like Q is only, it's valuable as a receptive audience, but do they, is it also seen kind of a lay as a kind of influence layer to, to kind of push you know, Christian identity ideas into mainstream politics, because, I mean, it seems like Q is, you know, of, 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 you know, when examining the milieu, Q seems to be the one part of the movement that is very good at mainstreaming, right? You have, yeah. but I mean, Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry. Keep going with your question. No, no, no. I was, I was done. (laughs) Oh, sorry. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what the draw is the that's why they are drawn to QAnon is like I said they they're like this is a LARP it's probably like some fed fed work or something like that but we could use it to get these ideas out into the mainstream because for a while I mean so I feel like there's this idea among some experts not all experts but like some experts who believe that Christian identity is like a dead or dying ideology but I mean it's it's not, I think just the focus went away from white or white nationalist or white supremacist based terrorism right after 9-11, right? And so for like however many years, white supremacists and white nationalists were kind of just allowed to not do whatever, but weren't being as examined as much as they could be. And then it became an issue, quote unquote, became an issue again, because it's always been an issue but it got more attention, you know, a few years ago and is still getting attention today. But yeah, so they, I think that's allowed Christian identity to kind of like operate behind the scenes and be able to kind of gather their bearings and really bolster up a strong online community where they can start doing these things like reaching out to QAnon or, you know, I'll see some adherents talking about like, yeah, I went to my church a few weeks ago. I started going to this new church and I started bringing up uh, that Jewish people are bad and people seem receptive. You know, it's like small things like that, right? Like kind of indirect ways to lead people down that road into Christian identity. Then for the last question about Q and Christian identity, mm-hmm. you know, is Q kind of changing Christian identity? Is there kind of an interplay when it comes to influence or is it really that Christian identity is 
is nudging and changing cue more than the vice versa? I would say it's more Christian identity influencing cue because like I, like I've said, Christian identity just like they don't believe it, it's weird. They don't believe in the QAnon stuff itself, but they still circulate some of the same conspiracy theories, like the conspiracy theories and like, like bogus articles and stuff like that. They circulate are almost indistinguishable from stuff I would see on like a QAnon board, but yeah, so they definitely are more influential on QAnon and QAnon is on them. I think a really good example of that would be Ghost Ezra, you know, Ghost Ezra on QAnon, or not on QAnon, on Telegram. Yeah, I, I've yeah. heard of him. Yeah, yeah, so he is this, like, QAnon personality who was, he started posting, he was posting more blatantly anti-Semitic things than any of the other, like, Q influencers, and the Christian identity people picked up on that, like almost immediately or like, hey, we can use this to our advantage. And so they would have people in on his channel, like dropping links to like Christian identity articles or like podcasts or what have you. And you would go in and look at these chats where they're doing that. And, you know, one or two people would be like, yeah, hey, this is like racist and, and bad. I don't like this. And other people would be like, wow, I've never thought about that. That's really interesting. Where can I learn more? And the Christian identity people would send them even more resources, right? And kind of lead people down that rabbit hole. So a lot of this seems to be doing like very direct, like on mediums that are very direct, right? So Telegram, 4chan, et cetera. How is it, I mean, I kind of want to step back and, and kind of examine the milieu, right? Is So it's mm -hmm. not just Q people, but it's also neo-Nazis, neo-fascists, you yeah. know, channer trolls or trolls but describe kind of the milieu like this overall kind of big picture that we're talking about so it's not just q forms that very small part of the pie so to speak yeah yeah so christian identity so with all the like white nationalist ideologies and you know viewpoints and all that there's so many they all kind of clash with each other and so christian identity for example is i would say the most intolerant to other white supremacist ideologies like they really try to distance themselves away from that because they're like oh that's ungodly that's if you believe like if you believe in odinism you're going to go to hell and all that kind of stuff like you're no better than people who don't believe what we believe so i mean that's what i see at least i, I feel like i see more clashing with ideologies than I do them like trying to work together and like influence each other too much but I mean they all like on a, a surface level they all kind of believe in the same thing right but they all have I guess different flavors of what they believe and those flavors aren't really they don't see them as compatible compatible with others does that make sense yeah so it's like different versions of the in-group or the in-group's ideology yeah where it's kind of like one big circle and then there's a lot of teeny circles inside of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. But those teeny circles, I mean, with Christian identity, at least, they have like built up the walls around their circle and they don't let anyone else in unless they believe, they either believe exactly what they believe in or they know they can push that person to believe what they believe in, right? Interesting. That, that's so interesting. It's like, you know, 
because I, in my mind, like I keep comparing and contrasting like Q is this mm-hmm. inclusive, weird game with yeah. like, you know, anybody can be part of Q, whereas like CIM or CI just seems to be like, here's the walls, you know, you're either in the group or you're out of the group, you know, but we're not going to change for you. Yeah, exactly. It's exactly like that. I mean, and it's not even just with other, it's not even just with like Odinism or whatever. Like they, they do this within the different sects of Christian identity itself. Like there are, I'm not going to name any of them because I don't want to give them um, too much attention, but there are several different thought leaders within the modern Christian identity movement. And they all believe like slightly different things, but it causes those sets to all like clash with each other because they don't believe like this group doesn't believe in the exact same biblical thing as this group. So they are incompatible with each other and neither of them is going to budge. They might like shift, I guess, members back and forth to like change their minds about things. Right. But they don't really budge on any of those. Whereas like QAnon, you're right. It's very open. And it's like, Hey, here's come on in. It's fun. Like come hang out. And the Christian identity people are like, only come hang out if you already believe in this stuff or we know we can make you believe in it. Like I was saying a minute ago. So in that way, like with all this arguments and clashing and, and what have you. So is it, is it possible that like CI would ever become like a dominant ideology or is it just so kind of wrapped up in, in, you know, onto these internal debates and sort of internal definitions that we wouldn't, we wouldn't actually expect it to be truly dominant over the white supremacy movement. I think it is definitely gaining more traction and potentially, potentially being back up to the levels where it was in like, you know, like the like the 50s through the, or the 40s through the 80s or the 90s, uh, where it was a very dominant sort of ideology with the white supremacist movement. But it, I know they want to do that again. And I'm seeing that happen. I'm seeing it become more popular. I'm seeing Christian identity talking points come up in places where I don't like normally see them within like Q channels and stuff like that, like different Q channels and all that. But I think they, they want that to happen and it's happening a bit, but like you're saying, like they the clash on things so much. I don't know if it's going to happen that they, the way they want it to, at least I hope it doesn't. Right. Like I really hope it doesn't. Cause I think the danger of Christian identity is like, I was kind of rambling about earlier is because it has the word Christian in it. it. It at a surface, like at a glance, it's a lot more appealing to very conservative Christians than say like Odinism or like atheism, right? Like it's more appealing to them because it says Christian identity. And those people are like, oh, this is my identity as a Christian. And so they're more likely to be drawn towards it. I think that's like the biggest danger of CI. Interesting. So what, you know, you've touched on it in the beginning of the show, uh, Uh but let's go through what is the end goal? Here. Is it truly like sort of, you know, the end of society, you know, purge everybody and then we'll kind of rebuild it? What is, what is yeah, the end I mean, goal of, of CI? I mean, it, it's that they, 
for this uh, apocalyptic event to happen. So like nowadays they're liking it, likening it to the Boogaloo, right? Like the, they're kind of likening the Boogaloo to this apocalyptic race war. So once that war happens, they will fight in this war and they will survive and like win and purge the earth and also the terrible stuff and then kind of pave the way for the return what they believe will be the return of Jesus and then kind of like a new golden age where society is rebuilt in the image that they want it to be. It's kind of wild because, you know, as I'm taking notes, you know, uh-huh. I'm thinking about previous shows, like the idea of the storm, the boogaloo, it's yeah. these, these apocalyptic moments. And then in comes Christian identity and it's kind of, you know, coloring everything with the hue of religion almost like, you know, yeah. the storm and the boogaloo now aren't just these secular events, these secular mm-hmm. political events, but now they're, you know, apocalyptic on a religious scale. Yeah, it's a religious imperative for this thing to happen. So, I mean, to me, that makes it scarier. It's not just like a social collapse. Like, no, this is like a, like, uh, like a spiritual apocalyptic war that has to happen for the next, like, the next stage of their religious belief to come to fruition. So there isn't like, there's no politics to this then. There's no, there's no ideal government or ideal like nation state. It's apocalypse. And then you have a, not even a shining city on the hill, but a kind of whatever the end state, the religious end state. Yeah. Yeah. So it, I mean, with politics wise, like they don't, they don't believe in the political system because they kind of see it. Like you, you've heard the term like Zionist occupied government, right? Zog, like that, that's still a very predominant belief in within Christian identity. So they don't like involve themselves. They don't involve themselves with politics in any way other than try to influence others. So you'll see like some Christian identity people talk about and be like, yeah, I was involved with this Republican party and I was able to talk about these beliefs a bit with some boomers at this conference. And I think that's a win. You know, they don't, so they don't go into politics to make like any sort of meaningful change to the people they do. They go into it to, try to influence others to believe in their ideology it's so interesting like like it's, yeah it's like you're it's bad. yeah it's really bad because like, it's real bad <laughs> it's just ringing all sorts of like alarm bells it's like you know it's just you know, it reminds me a lot of like i i hate saying this but like kind of jihadis in the the 80s and 90s like there's no there's no negotiation there's no you know, there's no purpose, but this, you know, abstract end state that can only be created through, you know, incredible violence. Obviously, I'm not much of an expert. So <laughs> that analogy is kind of poor, but that's kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it's similar to that. I mean, like uh, Stuart Wexler, Stuart Wexler's book, which you mentioned earlier, uh, is called America's Secret Jihad. Like it's, it's, it's similar, right? And also, that's like, a very if you want a very easily digestible but very uh thorough investigation and breakdown of the christian identity movement specifically before like the 70s and 80s um 
and after the 90s a bit. I think America's Secret Jihad is like the the go-to book for that because uh, Wetzler focuses specifically on these individuals and events that aren't focused on as much in other writings. But yeah, it's I mean it's very similar to what you were saying. So with that, I think we've touched on a lot today. So usually as per tradition, excuse me, we like to ask our guests, you know, leave us with something to think about, something to chew on as, as you know, audience members. But uh, I want to also throw in, what scares you the most about all this? <laughs> like, not only leave us with something to think about, but also please scare the piss out of us. No, no, it's, uh, it's, it's a good question. Yeah, like, and I, I try not to be like, I try not to like fear monger or anything like that, because I think fear is a very, us being afraid is a very big advantage for white nationalists. But the thing that scares me the most about this is how closely it runs alongside QAnon and the fact that the Christian identity here adherents know that and they know they can make their ideology more robust by bringing these people in or by peppering in Christian identity talking points. And so, you know, not only do they believe like, hey, we'll bring some people into us, but they believe it'll help them. It, it's kind of like this indirect form of accelerationism. Like they're, the Christian identity adherents aren't going out and carrying out attacks. They're hoping to push like QAnon folks and militia people, you know, all that part of the milieu to do these attacks for them so they can prepare for the the end of the world, basically. So that's what bothers me the most is that they are actively using QAnon as kind of a as a as a vehicle to get to the apocalypse. So that's that's the scary thing. I'm trying to think of things that I think are good and important to do. I mean I think if you have a family specifically if you have a family member who believes in like QAnon talking point. I feel like there's this tendency to get really overwhelmed and justifiably so. Like, I mean, I have family members who I, I kind of have lost contact with because of QAnon. I think it's important to try to reach out them as, reach out to them as best as you can to open up that line of communication with them. Even if it's like, hey, hey grandpa, let's go take a walk through the forest or something like that. Something to kind of break away from that pathway they may or may not be on. Yeah, I, I, I think that's my biggest takeaway that I try to give to people, I guess, is to be able to communicate with your family members or your friends or like people who you know who are kind of getting further into this stuff. Yeah, that's good advice. And so with that, that was Matt Taylor. He's a researcher. We'll have some articles, books, everything you need to read to kind of fill in the contextual parts of the conversation. But again, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I was glad to talk to you. Sorry. I'm so rambly about things. I get really nervous when I'm getting recorded and my brain just like forgets stuff.